Thank you, guys. We're going to be bouncing around the scriptures tonight, looking at different scriptures. But for a reading, um, I'm going to look at First Peter chapter five, verse five. Asking you to find that to stand in God's honor. Read a single verse. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Father, how we need your grace. How we need to see you and grace is the portal through which we view you. Father, I just pray that you might speak through this message. and Father, that we might see the benefits available through a humble heart. In your name we pray. Amen. Started thinking about uh, the idea of benefits that come from a certain type of insurance, certain type of policy. And the scripture here says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So I want to just look at a number of areas where his grace is poured out to us. The benefits that come as a result of humility, of walking with him. First, let's turn to Proverbs 22, verse 4. We're going to, like I said, be bouncing all over the scripture. Um, Text here says, humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth, honor, and life. The idea of humility is you finally come to a place of saying, I don't have all the answers, and I'm not in complete control, and I need some help. And so it's a willingness to listen. It's a willingness to be in a place to learn, to have a teachable spirit. Um, I I, uh, remember one guy said that... uh, what God wants more than anything are fat Christians. And what he meant by that is an acrostic for faithful, available, teachable. And, and that's the heart of a humble person. And really, humility in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is just a respect for God, a deep reverence for God in, in what we do. And, and so the picture here is I'm willing to listen, and then I'm willing to follow what I learn. And, boy, you know, I think of so many of the issues that we face in life, the problems that we have, boy, they're, they come because we don't listen to God and we go apart from Him. And, you know, it's that, uh, I want to do it my way, God. I'm going to go out here even though you're prompting me this direction. I'm going this way. And there's a price to pay. You've probably heard this quote. Boy, I, I've thought about it so often. Sin will take you farther than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And I can honestly say the regrets I have never come from saying yes to God. It comes when I've said no to God. All right, another benefit is to be able to stand our ground against the enemy, against Satan as he attacks us. Let's turn to the book of James, chapter 4. Verse 7, when it comes to spiritual warfare, I've always viewed this as one of the primary texts to follow. Uh, Submit yourselves then to God, 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I've often heard this verse partially quoted where someone says, Resist the devil and he will flee from, from you. You know, just fight him. Duke it out with the devil. Because you belong to Christ and you have this power. Yeah, but you can't leave out that first part of the verse that's so critical. Because the truth of the matter is, until we submit ourselves to God, until we're willing to humble ourselves before Him, how in the world can we possibly win against the devil? Because we don't have the strength and we don't have the power. You know, there's that text that says He's like a roaring lion. Looking for whom he may devour. He's smart. Remember when he was created, and it tells us in the scripture that he was beautiful, he you know, he was powerful. Matter of fact, he had it so uh, impressive that his head got too big. And he said, I should be in charge of heaven instead of God. Look at me. And he got thrust out of heaven as a result of that. And he's been around a long, long time. And he's been able to watch us a long, long time. And he knows our weaknesses. He knows how we can fall. And guys, he doesn't come to us looking all mean and ugly with horns out of his head and all that caricature with a pointy tail and all that. No, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 11 that he often masquerades as an angel of light. He doesn't look like he's dangerous. He doesn't look like he's deadly, but he is. And the way to battle that is not through... You know, my spiritual know-how and all of that. But to submit to God. To humble myself before God. To cry out to God and say, God, help me. You know, in the Lord's Prayer where it says, deliver us from evil, it could easily be translated, deliver us from the evil one. And the picture there is, God, this is too much for me. I need you. And that comes from an humbling heart. An humbled heart. It's hard to fall down when you're already prostrate. You're already in that position to cry out to God. It's the way to fight. Third benefit is a power for service. This is Galatians 5.16, but uh, I learned this years ago in the Amplified Bible, which you know takes the sentence and makes it a paragraph. Um, let me go ahead and, uh, before I quote it out of there, I'm going to read it in the NIV. It says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Well, I'm going to break this down in the Amplified, uh, talking about service. How, how are we to be effective in Christ? In Galatians 5.16, the Amplified just really spells it out. He says, first of all, he says, But I say, walk and live habitually in the Spirit. So the picture here is that, hey, it's not a one-time event. It's not something we schedule a few hours a week. But he says, I want you to live. I want you to walk. As you progress through life, it's something that's a habit. It's something that happens all the time. It is a walk with God that goes on every moment. It's not just an hour or two when you gather in church or when you pray or have a quiet time or pray before you eat your meal it is to be an awareness of God at all times. He says, but I say, walk and live habitually in the Spirit. Then he goes on to Amplified and he says, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit. And that's critical too. Another aspect of being humble is I'm responsive. You know, I'm not off doing my own thing and my ears and my heart are closed so that I'm not responsive to God, but that I'm aware to Him in a sense that when He does speak, 
I'm ready to say yes. I'm ready to respond. He says responsive and controlled is the next one. God, I'm under your influence. You know, we talk about DUI, driving under the influence. Well, we're called to have a LUI, living under the influence of God's Spirit. We're responsive to and controlled and guided by that Spirit. Now, what happens when that occurs? He goes on the Amplified. Um, he, and he says that those who do so will not gratify the cravings and desires of the sinful nature, of human nature without God. In other words, when we walk in the Spirit of God, then our hearts aren't chasing after that sinful nature, after sin, after that where God is absent and His boundaries are not present. And, and, and that's, that's an aspect of an humble heart. That comes when we're willing to stop and say, God, help me. God, fill my life. Give me direction. And may I be responsive to that direction and walk with you. Next benefit that's a result of such a walk is fruit bearing. This is from Psalm 126, verse 6. He who goes out weeping, carrying precious seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. So the picture here is there's pain involved. The one who goes out weeping, the one who is broken... A.W. Tozer said, It's doubtful God ever uses a man greatly till he hurts him deeply. And I think the reason behind his thought there is uh, God's able to teach us when we're hurting in a way that we don't learn when things are going well. Cindy and I, this past year, many of you know, we've had kind of a rough year, and it's been tough. I'll just be honest with you. But something... Personally, I found is that there were some areas of my life, I'll be quite honest, I was just not very sensitive. But something about when you get hurt and you sit back, you see other hurt that maybe you missed before. And so there were certain people I didn't notice or maybe I was ready to just almost write off. But I think in the midst of some pain, it's like, oh, yeah, I see that now. Maybe I see why that's happening, or I see something I didn't notice before. Maybe this is part of the reason why that those people act like that, because there's a pain there that, that I, you know, I was oblivious to in the past. That is another benefit of humility. When there's a brokenness, then God's able to reveal to us what before we couldn't see because we were proud, not open to learning, not humble. And God's able to... Work through that. Um, One writer wrote, uh, At that point our seed finds fertile soil for broken hearts, able to recognize others who are broken, and to gain a sensitivity. It was said that when Thomas Jefferson retired uh, from his busy life, he founded a little college called University of Virginia, you know. And uh, anyway, uh, as he got started, he had this passion for learning, and Thomas always had, and he just assumed that the students would share that passion and that they would want to take their books and, you know, be um, very responsible. So he gave them a lot of freedom. He didn't have many laws or discipline. And guess what? The students didn't study. And it caused a lot of problems. And so uh, 
there was a type of revolt between the, the professors and the students. And Thomas Jefferson, he came and uh, he was trying to get through because both sides were fighting back and forth. And he tried to get their attention, but nobody would listen as they yelled back and forth. And so he started weeping, crying. And he said, this was my dream to start this school so that it could be a benefit to everybody. And, and so after a while, both sides began to listen. <laughs> and, and there was healing. And, and the school began to go forward. And, and later on, some of the students who were behind uh, some of the problems in the revolt said, we didn't hear what um, Mr. Jeff, President Jefferson said, but we saw his tears. And that is what got our attention. Uh, with a heart that's, that's soft and, and that's broken, speaks a lot of times where words just simply don't speak. It's benefit. Another benefit uh, is just uh, humility is, is just beautiful. <laughs> um, it has a strength uh, in speaking, as, as with Thomas Jefferson. Uh, this is from Andrew Murray. He says, humility, as it is the mark of Christ, the heavenly, will be the one standard of glory in heaven. The lowliest is the nearest to God. The primacy in the church is promised to the humblest. Humiliation is the only ladder to honor in God's kingdom. Uh, next point, simple one. We should be humble because Jesus, who we are to be like, was humble. You guys know Philippians 2. I, let me um, read from there. He, he says... Um, Starting at verse 5, he says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So he's talking about our attitude. Guys, this is the, this is the way we're supposed to act when people say, Well, you know, what, what's his temperament like? Well, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And King James, the same mind Jesus had. What kind of mind? What kind of attitude? Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. This is the God of all. He didn't empty himself of his divinity, but he, he emptied himself so that he could take on humanity. Being fully God and fully man, he humbled himself. And the result of that, he says, taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What was the result of that humble act? God lifted him up. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. This is the one in um, the only description we have of him. 
uh, in the Gospels, Matthew eleven twenty nine, he says, I am gentle and humble in heart. That's Jesus. Um, as you think about him, I mean, God of all, in the heavenlies, <laughs> reigning, comes, uh, takes human form as a baby in a manger, in a stable, basically a feeding trough, you know, for the, for the livestock, that's where he was placed when he was born. It was a humble place. and Those who came to see him were not the celebrities of the day. They were the shepherds, not the prominent. He was not raised in a rich family, but a fairly a, a poor family. Um, in an out-of-the-way out town. He wasn't born in a, a mecca, a popular place to be, but a small town. And he's described many times in Scripture as a lamb, as an humble animal. <laughs> Not as a ferocious beast or, or lion, but as a lamb, the lamb of God. Roy Hessen helps us see the irony uh, in Jesus' baptism. He says... Uh, what a suggestive picture we have. The dove descending upon the lamb and resting upon him. The lamb and the dove are the gentlest of all God's creatures. The lamb speaks of meekness and submissiveness and the dove speaks of peace. Surely this shows us the heart of deities, humility. When the eternal God chose to reveal himself in his son, he gave him the name of the lamb. And when it was necessary for the Holy Spirit to come into the world, he was revealed under the emblem of the dove. Is it not obvious then that the reason why we have to be humble in order to walk with God is not merely because God is so big and we are so little, but because God is so humble? Matter of fact, as you look throughout the scriptures, you see uh, that whenever people got close to God, they felt like they needed a bath. They felt dirty. They were aware of their sin. Remember Isaiah, it says in Isaiah 6, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Remember Moses, as he approached the burning bush in Exodus 3, 6, it says he hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then when the angel Gabriel appeared to Daniel, uh, this is what Daniel says, that this is from Daniel eight eighteen and ten fifteen. I was terrified and fell prostrate. When he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. There's a sense of awe. Thus, Job's words, as he described anyone in the presence of God, he said, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And of course, we think about Peter, right? Impulsive Peter. Uh, he would quick to act and quick to fall. And God was quick to pick him up and quick to use him in a powerful manner and quick uh, to restore him and to forgive him. Peter was tough on himself and God was there to pick him up. And as you look at through those who God have used, humility's there. Humility's there. And, and then the point... I should be humble and you should be humble because of our past. I mean, the simple fact of the matter is, we're all sinners. The simple fact of the matter is, 
without a Savior, we were headed to hell. We don't talk about hell a lot anymore, do we? In this politically correct culture, nobody wants to talk about hell. Nobody wants to talk about damnation. And, you know, the fiery pulpits are you know, not as avid as they once were. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus spoke about hell three times as much as he spoke about heaven. What does it tell me? He wanted to warn people hell is a real place. And that he came for a reason. That no one should have to spend eternity there. It says in Luke 13, 3, Jesus is talking to a group of people. And this is what he says to them. When uh, they're talking about this other group of Galileans. You know, they're the rough kind. You know, they really deserve punishment. They deserve hell. But Jesus spoke. This is Luke 13, 3. He says, but I tell you no. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. So quit this idea of thinking, oh, that person's definitely headed to hell. I'm headed to hell. Unless someone intervenes, and there's only one who can, and his name is Jesus Christ. And those of us who are here, that's where we place our hope. It's not on the work of any person or any philosophy. It's on the work of Jesus. Uh, that's, that's where the hope is, and, and that comes only as we're humble, and we humble ourselves before that truth is there, you know. Oswald Chambers, boy, you know, all of us, I know I've read several times, I love that, my utmost for his highest. I have to read it about three times. Some way with the C.S. Lewis devotion I'm doing now, and I have to read it three times to get it a lot of times. But Here's a quote from uh, Oswald Chambers. Humility comes as a result of the Holy Spirit, showing us the glory of God and the wretchedness of our heart. It is putting one beside the other and proclaiming, be merciful to me, a sinner. You can never be humiliated by another human being after the conviction of sin the Holy Ghost gives. Yes, we're sinners, but we have a great Savior who's bigger than our sin. Who saves us and who gives us a secure hope. That's what the gospel's all about. Um... Without him, I can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ. And that's, you know, that's the association, that's the picture of the truth. It was spoken of D.L. Moody, the evangelist of another era, of another generation. Um, he was known as an humble man. Uh, R.A. Torrey, uh, another preacher that was well known of that day, spoke of Moody as uh, the humblest man he knew. And he said often while Moody would preach to large crowds, and he would often have uh, seminary students uh, in the area be behind him or near him, and he would turn back and look at them and say, I am so grateful that the men God is, are raising, that God is raising up for the future are better than me and that God will use them. And then he had this quote he would often share. He'd say, the beginning of greatness is to be little, the increase of greatness is to be less, and the perfection of greatness is to be nothing. And the picture is not so much I am nothing, but I'm not counting on me to get it done. Vance Havner used to say, we can be just as straight as a gun barrel theologically and just as empty spiritually. It's easy even in church to run around and point out that we're getting more spiritual. That we're growing strong. But we get strong 
when we're willing to be weak. He raises us up when we humble ourselves down. Once we're prostrate, we're able to be strong. He says that um, he lifts us up when we humble ourselves. Uh, I think it's James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I close with this uh, illustration one preacher wrote about when he was a little boy. He says, I remember once as a boy of 15, taking about 10, 20, two caliber bullets and putting them in a tin can with pieces of rubber, paper, and other flammable items. <laughs> then lighting it and jumping behind some logs. I waited and waited to hear the shots, but nothing happened. Finally, I got impatient and thinking that the fire had gone out, headed back toward the can. About 10 feet away, the bullets started exploding and I dove for cover. After a long time with no more shots, I finally went cautiously back to the can. On looking in, I was surprised to find that all of the bullets were still there with the empty cartridges. Since the cartridges had no support behind them, the bullets and the shell cases just blew apart in opposite directions, but went nowhere. Much of our spiritual activity, he writes, is like that. We make a big bang and try to impress people, but in the end we accomplish nothing that honors God or builds up his kingdom because it's not done in humility. Let's pray. Lord, uh, here we are. I don't know why you chose us. Boy, I'm glad you did. Father, it says that you chose the weak and the despised. Thank you for that, Father. It was a demonstration of your power. The gospel comes to those of us who certainly don't deserve it. We thank you for that. May that same spirit, Father, that reaches out to us keep us, Father, aware of you. Not just at the moment we needed you for salvation, the beginning of that walk, but we still need you. As the Greek says, not only have we been saved, but we are being saved and will be saved. Until we enter into glory, we must keep an eye on you, remembering that you are the author and the finisher of our salvation and our faith, and that for us to be in agreement with you, we are to be humble. So, Father, keep our minds straight, our attitudes right, that you might work in a powerful manner. What do you want to do in our hearts tonight? I pray maybe you've stirred us, made us think, and Father, may your spirit just lead us to consider you, Father. In Christ's name we pray.